Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, everybody, it's time to join not just Timbo and Guy Guy for the third episode of And Just Like That, but it is my great pleasure to finally have on the podcast Maureen Johnson, celebrated best-selling novelist. I could not be more excited, Maureen, to talk to you about the series. How the fuck are you? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> That's size speaks okay. volumes. My, my... Before you launch into your answer, Maureen, I just want to know, were you going to or did you have intentions on watching this series at all before we no. asked you to talk about it? Oh, no. Oh, absolutely no. No, no, no. In fact, <laughs> I, um, I, have some pr- I have some previous with this. So... With the Sex in the City universe. Please take us through your journey with the Sex in the City. Sure. I think the audience is familiar with ours. <laughs> well, briefly, I came to the city around the same time that Sex in the City starts. And mm. so I was moving into that New York. Except wow. I was a as student. A writer. As a writer and a student at Columbia, where Miranda goes now. And I had zero dollars and zero cents at all times. And everyone said, there's this amazing show on HBO. I was like, HBO, who has money for that kind of nonsense? And they said it has hilarious plots, like a woman sends $40,000 on shoes. And I said, I never want to watch that shit. And I never did, except it would be on the background sometime. And it'd be like, who are these fuckwits? And why are they buying all these shoes? And I don't even like shoes. What do people really like this show? So I never see it, really. I, you know, it just, it's, I absorb some of it. Okay, flash forward to the year that Sex and the City 2 comes out. Now, it just so happened. 2008? You've eight. seen it. I have. I think it was, no, it was after that, wasn't it? Because was it I thought, 9? I think it was 10, wasn't it? I'm going to look this up. All I can tell you about in that my, year in, is that. It was 10, and I will hear from Guy Montgomery briefly, and then I will hear from Maureen. Uh, thank you for mediating our conversation through this dastardly <laughs> internet connection, Tim. Uh, I was just going to confidently say it was 2008. I started saying that. 
I cut people <laughs> off. I was proven wrong before I even got to finish the sentence. This is one of the most like uh, vulnerable positions I've been in podcasting. Mm. I will. Um, <laughs> I've got reams of notes here, but I'm much more interested to hear what Maureen has to say, and then maybe we can have a little corner where I contribute my pathetic <laughs> sort of thoughts. <laughs> Um, I know it was 2010 because I had a medical issue that year that resulted in me having constant rolling panic attacks like every day. No, this is not a sad story. It's a fine story because it was just going on and on and on. And my friend said to me, Maureen, you need cheering up. I'm going to take you to the movies. And she took me to Sex in the City 2. And I sat there for two and a half, two and a half hours and dissociated. <laughs> oh my god! And watched this movie that I thought everyone thinks this is this is comedy. This is fun. This is they're just. I mean, for I, I understand that you guys. Uh, there's a question in the back, Mister Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> guy is now raising his hand for those who can't see us. Yes, guy. Well, I just I just wanted to say. I was hoping Maureen would finish a thought and then I'd get to say a thought. I, I'm sort of using the classroom system here. I I just wanted to say that two and a half hours, the thing with that is um, I can't speak to the rolling panic attacks that mm. surround your context of watching Sex in the City 2, but that is long enough for your mind to take right. you to some either inc- like incredible or dark mm. places. Like two and a half mm. hours in a movie that is not holding your attention, and some of this is from experience, is honestly like it's... Um, it's an access way to like the the innermost parts of your mind or like you know you you amble down some pretty long streets of thought and so it's you know like the you you provided fantastic context and I'm interested to know like did you did you have any either um you know breakthrough thoughts or, or any breakdowns yeah. that's right any harrowing moments well it's funny you should say that um the reason I was having all these anxiety attacks is it turns out I had this crazy anemia. My brain didn't have enough oxygen. So I thought maybe oh. the experience will be different if my brain is full of beautiful oxygen and I'm not having <laughs> panic attacks all the time. And it turns out that to prepare for this, I was like, I'll sit down and I will watch all three episodes. And let me tell you, it took me right back to where I was. Oh, no, Maureen. <laughs> no, I'm so a, sorry. No, in a fine way. And anyway, I've, I've exercised the demon. <laughs> the demon is dead. But it In did- what way? And that, it's like, it, obviously, this isn't, I mean, I guess it's not as mm. bad as Sex in the City 2, but I wouldn't say right. it's streets ahead of it Ooh. in terms of enjoyability. Uh, those first two episodes are... They're a ride. They're, they're Take me through it, Maureen. You, you, I mean, you haven't heard yet because uh, so we're recording this on the day that I think mm-hmm. we're releasing the first episode. You have not heard what no. I think about these first two episodes. I would also love to hear what you think about the first two episodes of And Just Like That. Um, well, first of all, I knew I was in safe hands. Also, I reevaluated my position with Sex in the City 2 because I have listened to it, that season probably four times in its entirety. I've listened to Five Hour Energy <laughs> twice. <laughs> Two times. It's incredibly flattering. Uh, it's as flattering as it is yeah. worrying. I have a list of that list of things that I remember from the show. Not this, 
I think the the moment I worried about you guys the most, in general, was not a Sex in the City moment. It was the moment when you went to L.A. and someone gave you a vial that just said party drugs. According to <laughs> oh, you. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. So I don't think it was your lowest moment. Emotionally, I think it was probably your lowest moment. It was probably your lowest moment, wasn't it? Um, well, I can tell you what Guy's one was because it was my favorite part. If mm. I'm, rem- if this was the right episode, I th- it would because I think I sprung it on Guy that we would be watching it again. I think, um, and I remember that being very funny to me in the moment. Guy's real time reaction to that being the situation that we were not, in fact, one hundred percent complete. We were fifty percent complete. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd say for anyone, even without the run, the run up that we'd taken with Sex in the City two, that that would um, probably garner a similar response. And honestly, it's an interesting situation, is it? Because I am the most vulnerable in terms of um, that's the worst I could feel. But also in terms of fitness and stamina, mm. I'm probably you know one of the few load bearing people who could actually handle that kind of. Um, you know, mammoth surprise. Yeah, you're a real champ for sitting through a movie twice, Guy. Maure- Maureen is um, back on my screen. For the first time in the podcast, I can now see Maureen. And yeah. I, honestly, I feel Fantastic. like I'm back in the room. Back, back in the game. <laughs> anyway, let's get off this uh, the ancillary products. Maureen, I want us back on, on the railroad right. of And Just Like That. Because this isn't even as... What amazed me is this isn't even Sex in the City... Subtitle and just like that. This is just called and just like that. It's a new product. Maybe it's a Samantha thing. I don't know. Well, uh, the the first right before I watched the first episode, I got a tweet from a reader that said, "Hey, I was watching and just like that, and I screenshot this, and they sent me a photo. I'm an author, and there in the background, sitting on the shelf in Charlotte's daughter's room, is one of my fucking books." And there's not that many books on the shelf. There's like six books on there. That is pretty fucking cool. I saw that tweet. That is. How did that make you feel? Weird. <laughs> nervous. Very nervous. And I'll get to why. Because <laughs> I only Please get do. I only get more nervous as time. I'll tell you exactly why I'm nervous. Because in the flash or in the little coming up on, they show her kind of they show charlotte doing something in that bedroom and she's waving her arm around and she's getting very near my book and i start to think oh my god in the first episode they kill big with a peloton so what if one of these characters touches my book and dies oh wow it dies from it yeah I mean, they've already established in this universe, A, characters, well-established characters mm. can die. Yeah. Or be um, sort of seconded away to Europe and then uh, spoken about behind people's backs. Your book may may absolutely be a murder weapon. I, I wouldn't d- have said that was possible for the movies but in, and the old TV show, but in this one, all bets are off. I have frozen that screen and studied those books. And you know what? Those are not YA books. Only mine and maybe one other. So for some reason, I'm on that shelf next to Julian Barnes and some other shit that I do not belong with. So I don't know what, just like they are clearly sending you a message through this whole podcast thing, yes, which yes. I have a lot of questions about. Yeah. Can I just ask this question now? Because it really Please runs do. throughout. 
Uh, I mean, we did, we, we spoke about it a little bit in the first two episodes because it has to be said, it feels a bit targeted. Mm. And I think we should not immediately discount out of hand the possibility that Mattress Pike King is a listener yep. and unhappy about the project. I, you can just I talk, guys. More. You don't have to raise your and hand for all of it. <laughs> I actually quite like raising my hand. It makes me feel strong. I, I, there's more evidence pointing towards um, uh, either knowledge that we exist in the world or like Easter eggs for for Tim and Guy. But when Carrie goes to when Carrie in the middle of a pretty intensely, I mean, Carrie's back to like full flight sort of Sex in the City movie levels of um, obviously she's grieving her husband and I I, I mourn with her, but also that does not give you the right to stalk your husband's ex-wife. I think there is a limit to, you know, what you can do with your grief and hunting down someone who clearly has sent you like reasonable signals that they do not want to be communicated with. But anyway, that's all by the by, because my observation is she goes to visit her at her work. She brushes past the receptionist. She's sitting down in the foyer, the waiting room. Very, very nice, like very lo- like big, big room, high ceilings. And behind her... The Can you do me a favor, guy? Of the shot. Instead of foyer, could, could we shift that to foyer? It's just more fun. Yeah, of course. Uh, in the foyer, thank you. Behind a beautiful long couch in which Carrie Bradshaw sits, slightly off of center, there is a picture the size of a house. Like, I've not seen art flex this intensely. I think in my life, I've never seen an image that is not a mural on a wall rendered in such like scale and high definition and what should it be but a photo of one of New Zealand's most famous exports, one of our identifying characteristics and part of our national identity, certainly as we're perceived by others, but a fucking sheep standing in front of a rolling meadow, staring down the barrel of the camera, looking at Tim and Guy saying, bar, bar, fucking bar, you sheep fucking podcasting pricks. Yeah, I got that vibe too, because before Peter Jackson came around with his big Miramax dick-swinging multi-million dollar budget hobbit fiasco to put New Zealand on the map as a, uh, a home for mythological tiny men, it was famous for sheep. We, there's a, I can't even remember the set off the top of my head, but it was something like when we had a population of, I think, 3 million people, we had something like 12 million sheep at the time. And that was often, I think, a pub quiz fact about New Zealand that was where people's knowledge of the great nation of Aotearoa started and ended before Lord of the Rings. So, I, yeah, that did feel a bit targeted. I did think of you guys. It certainly did. And then the further evidence through this episode, an entire series. Beautiful shot, though. It's got to be said. They like a bleak room. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like a big room? Uh, is the the featuring of Shay Diaz, this, the, the non-binary podcast host slash stand-up comedian, uh, they, they give that character a stand-up comedy special taping and play down essentially five minutes of... And just like that's version of stand-up comedy, which is basically sort of grandstanding with the concept of a joke introduced once. Like there was five minutes of stand-up and there were probably can, four attempts at comedy. Towards the end, Guy, can, can I, can, in, the, in the name of structure for crying out loud, because... I hope that people aren't necessarily watching the show along with us. Mm. Maureen, if it would be all right with you, I know you took a lot of notes. You are a professional storyteller. 
if I started some sort of a clock, do you think you could um, give us a summation of what happens in the, this episode in like three minutes? Yeah, if I can even remember. Uh, <laughs> give it a go because this will be fun. Let's see. Uh, Carrie, she doesn't sleep. She's got to go to the will reading. And it, it's a real pain in the ass because her lawyer <laughs> yeah. won't get off the fucking phone. Her lawyer is having an argument with his wife about the dog. Miranda is yelling. Miranda has a drinking problem. Miranda is mad. She's like, speed this up. I got to go to lunch. Uh, what's his face with the glasses? Stanford. Stanford is angry at Charlotte. Charlotte's daughter may be non-binary. She's not sure. Uh, there's a million dollars left in the will to Natasha. And so Carrie stalks her first going to the places where she lives and works and finally just accidentally walks into her in a bathroom in a coffee shop in a different part of town, uh, burns herself Natasha, I guess, forgives her for some shit. I don't even know. And then um, they, then the, they, we just close out. We get a couple. I do we even do the podcast? I can't remember. And then there's seven it's minutes right at the start. Yeah, there's seven minutes of comedy. Miranda sort of makes out with Shay, but she gets a little that weed thing. That was to you guys. The whole thing's to you guys. <laughs> um, that was a minute eleven. I am super impressed with the brevity because I don't think you missed anything. I think that was all the big beats. Guys, is there anything you did? It wasn't featured yeah, in there? Yep. Yeah. Uh, a few vital details. Uh, mm. Anthony's startup, Hot Fellas, which is guys in oh, like tight <laughs> denim rompers delivering bread, is fleshed out a little bit. And also, uh, we get just essence of Brady and partner uh, as oh. Miranda and Steve are watching. Like, one of the characters arcs for Miranda and Steve is that they watch shows on streaming platforms on their TV at home. And um, Brady and his his girlfriend are in the kitchen making food, and I actually love. I mean, the more it's not a surprise. Well, actually, it this is it does feel like this is custom made for us because Brady's character is one of the few to come off like they're building on his story in a way which makes me want to spend more time with him. And like his partner is really funny, where she's like incidentally rude, but from a very good place, where she's like, "Hey, you guys are getting older," and um. Full fat milk's actually better for aging bones. And, of course, they've got to be in their bonnet because she is a fuck machine, not unlike their son. And uh, instead of just taking that information on and being like, you're right, we should strengthen our bones, they're like, can you believe this fucking woman is telling us about our bones? <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, Maureen, She's wrong too. You are, you're an accomplished audience member. And, um, I mean, you know, if you get tired of writing novels, I think, Writing blurbs is, is certainly well well within your reach. That was sensational. Well, um, do we? Th I have a couple questions about those scenes. Do we think that every single night they have a f they at Miranda's house? Apparently, every single night they do a full ice cream sundae bar. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's canon now because she – so the things that come out in a brief conversation with Charlotte is that they do not have sex, have not had sex for years, and the only sort of um, thing holding their relationship together is A, having a child together who seems very independent and um, unencumbered by mm. them these days, uh, and, and their nightly dessert routine. Those are the things that are keeping those cats together. 
So I think this is every single night they're getting they're hoeing. It's a Sunday, right? She's essentially making a Sunday bar yeah, at home. Yeah, it's a Sunday bar. It's a big tray and it's full. But for some reason, the main thing they put on ice cream is chia seeds. Yeah, they fucking love chia yeah. seeds. Yeah, really. And they well, they right. talk about they chia seeds in the enough. teeth. Mm. Yeah, I like that they they mention chia and seeds enough for, Brady st- just for us to finally s- understand. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. It's a fush. This is why the hand system works. Nope. I just like that they talked about chia seeds long <laughs> enough for us to know Steve's position on chia seeds. We don't have to wonder about that anymore. He hates them. He gets them stuck in his teeth. And I'd also like to say I love chia pudding. Um, don't have an opinion on the seeds. Hey, while while we've while we've got you guy, while the internet's sustaining your conversation, um, could I make a request to you? Like you're some sort of jukebox. Could I get yes. you doing Steve uh, spelling chia seeds? Oh, chia seeds. I. Uh, G, uh, C, H, E, E, E. No. A, <laughs> seeds. C, E. <laughs> Guys still got e. it, but Steve doesn't. <laughs> D, S, G, R, seeds. All right. Thanks, Steve. You were wrong on the third letter, I believe, um, but we it's appreciate actually, your attempt. It's actually quite I, hard to misspell chia seeds. Phonetically, it is almost <laughs> a perfect match. You know, chia and chia, the che, it's almost, is that one of the, is that a, is that a, a reference? Oh. I'm just trying, oh, I'm just saying. She eats the it's chia seeds. This Pikelet King's way of saying non-binary people, the whole concept sticks in my craw as chia seeds stick in my teeth. Yes. I don't know, but he just seems to keep bringing up the topic a lot in this season. He is there's there's some interest in it, big time. Why is it typical in a in a comedy gig like the one that Che does at the end for there to be no chairs? Um, I would say it's not like yeah, outside the realm of possibility to be an all standing gig. Uh, for taping, it I don't think weird. I've seen a single special. Yeah, where everyone is standing, and also, yeah, I thought I thought that was a um, that was cr- that was a crazy decision by the producers of Shay's uh, Netflix special. I was like, it's going to be distracting. I mean, sure, if you get into the special, you might forgive it, but watching it for that whole time, I was like, these people should be sitting there. And also, like, yeah, I guess maybe they're going for a different energy. They want a different vibe, and and you know that's their prerogative. I'd also quickly while we're talking about the special, I'd like to say. Mattress Pikelet appears to have become obsessed with making sure that the name of the thing is mentioned in the thing because every episode ends with him just like that and Shay's special is called Check the Box and I mean it's not it's not unheard of in stand-up but I'm like you know you can name a thing and then it can just be alluded to you don't need to expressly point it out every single time give us a freaking break yeah, Maureen, as a professional writer, like, does is this a? Do you think that that is a clever thing to do, or a kind of childish thing to do of keep having to say the name of the thing? No, you the just time? hammer that shit in over and over again. You don't say it once; you say it five <laughs> times. You say it ten times. <laughs> Pound that shit in. You can't risk your idiot fucking audience missing the point. I just, I mean, no, also absolutely. while we're do- talking stand up. I said it last time, and Tim sort of went off against stand-up comedians saying that we're awful people in general, which, if I'm being completely honest, part of it felt like it was directed at stand-ups, but a lot of it felt like it was directed at Tim. 
Uh, one of the last things that you really want to see mm. or that I want to see is um, stand-up comedy as rendered in the Sex and the City universe, specifically the end just like that. Uh, you, like, it's, it's, it's so... It's, it's, it's a hard thing to capture inside of a fictitious universe ordinarily, but um, to see it, you know, laid out alongside all of the other shit they're trying to do in this show is insane. And I was on the record, Maureen, I don't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have heard this, but I actually was so grateful the first episode to be back with these characters, making different choices, doing different things. I was like high, honestly. I was high on my response to the fact that these people I've spent so much time with are finally free from the shackles of a trip to Abu Dhabi or a marriage being cancelled. But here we are, episode three, the highs worn off. I am back to the plummeting lows of being trapped in a hell designed <laughs> to contain these fucking harpies. Do you know what I remember, which I'd forgotten on our, our first two episodes of the series? The reason that Kim Cattrall gave for leaving um, or, or, or not wanting to participate in the third movie that was going to come out is because of the storyline with Big. And she said, I can't, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she was like, I just don't want to be around as this accessory to Carrie Bradshaw processing her grief. Because, like, uh, everything in this show is just. Everything is a handbag for Carrie to pick up and use and then discard later on and not kind of grow from it, learn from it, love the handbag. We're all just these objects for her to pick up and look at and then put down again. And um, she was totally right because it's amazing that they ran with that story. They were like, that got leaked online for the third movie. Everyone was like, this is crazy. You can't do this. I'm like, yeah, 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 fuck you. All right. We can't, we can't do that. But then they did it. They yeah. did it for the series. They fucking did it. It is. They didn't change a damn thing. He still died in the shower, just like the leak online said about two years ago, I think. Which I learned from you guys, because I'm not going to learn that in any other way. That you were my (laughs) sole source of sex in the city. All I know is from you. And that one time I was in that movie. With with that in mind, Maureen, can I ask, um, do the behaviors of the characters and... You know the surrounding world that what we created, the you know the prism through which you're mm. coming to Sex in the City or and just like that, which is obviously through us responding to it. Did everything roughly align with what you expected? Did you like anyone more than you thought, or dislike anyone more than you thought? Like, mm. what was your response to what you were seeing? Well, I met Steve for the first time. And I oh. didn't know just how good your Steve was. I'd never, I'd never <laughs> encountered Steve. Um, Stanford and his husband are exactly as awful as you've always said. Carrie seems more sociopathic, maybe in yeah. this. But I mean, she may go down in history as the only person to try to throw a chic funeral. Yep. Um, this episode really drives it home as well. Like the, the I only, I took like three notes. One of them is, uh, and I wrote this at the kind of halfway point of the episode. Miranda is going to hook up with Shay, but then it'll be put on ice while she deals with her alcoholism. So I didn't expect them to have that kiss. That I I thought that was going to happen in episode four. That basically happened at the end of this episode. Um, I was baffled by the fact that Charlotte threw a quote out there. No, sorry, Miranda did, um, about bodies being in motion, remain in motion, uh, bodies at rest, stay at rest. 
uh, saying it to Shay, and then Shay was like, that, I did not say that on stage. That was not on my special. And then Miranda says, oh, yeah, that was a quote from Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> and it was the loudest Sir. I, like, why the fuck would you say Sir Isaac Newton? Am it I just, losing my mind? I don't or did know. She something say- about that. That was a quote by Sir Isaac Newton that I have or saw on a drink bottle? Or did I imagine it's on a drink bottle? It's on a water bottle, yeah. Yes, yeah. And then, so to get back to what Maureen was saying about the, um, yeah, I I think diagnosable sociopathy of Carrie Mm. Bradshaw. Toward the end of this episode, Charlotte has figured out that Miranda has uh, truly a drinking problem that needs to be addressed because she she asks for Miranda's bag when they're out at lunch for a cell phone charger, rifles through it, and there's a lot of little bottles of liquor in there. And um, she's also been noticing, you know, the multiple glasses of wine at all the events that they go to. And so she tries to bring this up with Carrie. And I, I hasten to add, because you, dear listener, might be thinking to yourself, Carrie Bradshaw's got enough in her plate. She's mourning her husband. I accept that. But this episode is a few weeks later and she's very much dealing with life fine. Like this opens on her conducting her podcast pretty much as per normal. She seems very functional. She's obviously still in a state of grief. She's doing an exceptional amount of walking around New York City, which I kind of think is a healthy thing to do. At all times. But anyway, that's kind of presented as this um, symbol of how ill she is and her her mental health and emotionality at the moment. But Carrie's, she's functioning. She's all good. Carrie Bircher at the end of this is presented with the situation from Charlotte that Miranda, we we might need to actually step in here. Miranda's got a drinking problem. And it takes a bit of courage for Charlotte to bring this up because Charlotte is... Always the shrinking violet, not wanting to create any fuss or bother for anyone else. She's plucked up the courage to bring this to the attention of her friend who's going through something. And Carrie says, don't we all have a drinking problem? And then later, when Charlotte is naming the situations where this is getting out of hand, Carrie answers that with, okay, can you stop noticing things? (laughs) This is her best friend Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel, and this is a global comment towards the Sex in the City verse. I feel like this has been so held up so much as a thing of womanhood, and it was so important to like it and to feel like this was. I didn't want to ruin anyone's time because people seem so enamored of it. And it meant so much to them, and it's it's so. It's not only terrible, you guys, it depresses me. It it makes me angry. It makes me want to burn down a bank. Uh, big <laughs> dives and I feel nothing. Uh, they, they are all crazy. They are just, they are empty shells with clothes on them that I don't understand. Carrie, she shouldn't be getting dressed. She should be, she's got, how many necklaces does she sleep in it? She can't sleep. Because she sleeps in like 25 necklaces and a bracelet and she's got no purpose in her life and she doesn't write anything and they're just a bunch of paranoid rich weirdos and I don't care about any of them. It didn't even occur to me, Maureen, but I think you're completely right. Like Carrie Bradshaw is devoid of purpose. She's a writer who hasn't touched a keyboard Mm. basically in the series to do any 
proficient. The only time she touches the keyboard so far, and we're at the end of the third episode now, is to try and guess Big's password on mm. his computer because she's trying to solve oh. these mysteries of why he has a picture of his dog in his wallet, why he left a million dollars to his ex-wife Natasha. Second uh, second time she writes. The first time she writes is uh, in the first or second episode after she... Uh, shies away from discussing masturbation on the podcast and then she writes down a masturbation in the afternoon matinee season or one time showing or something and it's like okay here is a writer who has not donned their tools for a while Mm-mm. and obviously you know to write well first you have to write badly but um yeah it's actually it's interesting that you you, you talk about how you're watching these rich paranoid women Maureen because it, it makes me wonder I don't think the show is ever intentionally trying to discourage us from empathizing with the characters or maybe to, you know, not unlike in something like Succession to perhaps enjoy the fact that people who have all the trimmings and trappings of the life that is, you know, quote unquote, desirable to ordinary folk are actually potentially as if not more miserable than the people who are watching this on their laptops at home. None of these characters' lives look very good. No, they don't. And um, I... I not only would I cross the street to avoid any of them, I have because these are the these this is my home turf. And if I saw someone like fucking carry walking along, I want no part of that shit. She the first episode, she goes to lunch, she comes home to watch Big Salt the Fish. They talk about whether they put on a Todd Rundgren out, you leave Todd Rundgren out of this. And then the next day she goes to a piano recital. What is she, she writes two sentences and can't figure yeah. what to do. So she's like, big jack off from me. Maybe that'll help me figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all of this collateral damage. You're right. Like musicians, your book, mm-hmm. um, the concept of podcasting, anything that they kind of rope into this universe is, is they're like real world objects from the plane of existence we live on. And they're like, that's also in, in the uh, and just like that universe, you're like, oh fuck off! Don't you bring your get the shit out of your mouth, you know? Stand up comedy, Bobby Lee, like leave it out. It, it, it honestly, it, it feels a lot like dress ups. Like it, it feels like we're watching a bad marionette show or something where all of these people are sort of like, is this what the world is like? Maybe, maybe people will be able to relate to this. And you're watching it, and you're like. So obviously you sort of skimmed Twitter and uh, understand that, you know, the world is changing, but you haven't engaged with any of it. And now you're presenting it in a a season long sitcom with characters who are like, who, who were relevant and were important and should have been left alone. Yeah. It's the hangover three that we're watching. I, I really came into this, um, trying desperately to I think it's so easy to be rough on Carrie it's basically a meme Mm. at this point so I came into this episode eyes and heart wide Mm. open ready to stand with my girl who's going through a tremendous tragedy her husband who she's finally after a pretty you know tumultuous many many years has found some sort of um peaceful and loving groove with the man her husband and then what does he do he up and dies on her all of a sudden and even the fact that they're at this world reading and suddenly it transpires that he's left a million dollars to his ex-wife natasha listen that's a hard thing to deal with and so for mattress pikelet king 
to be able to take all of that goodwill that I tried to gin up by myself going into the episode, all of the goodwill that he created by throwing this interesting twist into the story early on, and then still managing to run that into the ground, where by the end of the, 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 the credits rolling on the episode, I am back to fucking hating Carrie Bradshaw. Like, this, is a, mm. the, this can't be accidental. This has got to be an engineered, deplorable character. You know, as a longtime listener, and I certainly know a lot more about your experience with Sex in the City than I do about Sex in the City. So in many ways, what I understand is a much more pure version. And I've really internalized so many. Of, I mean, it's hard for me to over overstate just how many times I've listened to you fucking guys talk about this. <laughs> I listen to it like it's music. I could I could speak along with some episodes when I like a podcast. I like it. And you're so positive, like you bring such a positive energy and you won't destroy anything on purpose. You give it time before you destroy it. And you, you, you just don't want to take it down for the sake of taking it down. So I didn't want to come into this in the way that I was, which is that I hate them all so much and I wish ill for them. <laughs> and when Big died, I laughed. I mean, <laughs> oh, no. I laughed after the horror because... That that moment is pretty horrific. Yeah. But then I started laughing because I didn't it care. A, it's a reasonably well done moment in that. It's um, upsetting. Look, I've got a, I, I reckon Mattress Bucklet King saw this in a movie, that whole mm. cross-cutting technique where you've got, you know, dramatic live uh, piano performance happening where someone is creating the drama that underscores the scene and then cross-cutting to him slowly um, going harder and harder on the peloton and then keeling over and dying. Um I think he saw that in a movie, but fair play to him, you know, good artist borrow, great artist steal. He successfully generated stress and uh, and tension in that moment through uh, Lily's fantastic playing. So props to him for that. That was probably the most um, evocative moment that they've had in the three episodes so far, apart from like the blind fury that I just feel for Carrie. Like I can't get over her disregarding. Charlotte bringing the news of Miranda's alcoholism to Carrie and Carrie just so casually brushing it aside and insisting that Charlotte shut her mouth. It is so wild to me that this whole show is supposed to be premised on these women are the best of friends and always have each other's back. It's sad, man. Bums me out. And also Guy's frozen. I don't know if he's still on the call. This is not a show about female friendship. I feel like I would know if it was. It's not like I am all women. But it just makes me feel cold and dead inside, just like them. What do you think this is a show about if it's not a show about um, woman friendship? I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out because I, for example, costume dramas. This is like a costume drama, right? Yeah. Except there's a reason for those costumes in the costume drama because they're usually about, say, Jane Austen time or whatever, where the marriage market was an actual economic market. And, you know, your clothes were your value. You had to wear the jewels and the clothes to get the husband so that you had some sort of economic status so you could live. And they're just doing it for no goddamn reason. Yeah. They could be doing yes. anything, and they're doing this. I think look Miranda's gone to university I dig it yeah she's the only I've got respect and time for it 
Right. Guys back in the room, what, what do you reckon, guys? That do, do, do these feel like fully fleshed out adults living a life? Or does this feel like Jane Austen's Emma, but without, it is like out of time, therefore it doesn't really make any sense? Uh, they sort of, they almost have the, the details of someone with a full life. But, I mean, I, I can't get past the discussion around Carrie. And I honestly feel like Sarah Jessica Parker at some point between the second movie and this series gave an interview where she didn't admonish Carrie, but I feel like she maybe acknowledged that she is, I don't know if I'm conflating things, an anti-hero or was like, obviously a lot of what was done in the show would not pass muster now. And there is a degree of them trying to, uh, you know, reach out some, some form of atonement, but like, it's the same old Carrie. If someone else has a problem, it better get out of the way because I have my problems and I'm the protagonist of the world. We are doing a regular segment on these um, episodes that you won't have heard yet, Maureen, which is um, best character, worst character, where we select who was our favourite in this particular Mm. episode of In Just Like That and who was our worst. Do you want to go first or would you like us to go first so you can have a think about it? Because we did not warn you ahead of time. No, I think you guys should go first because I actually have to think about who who was in it. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Guy, do you want me to kick I'm off? I'm very happy to kick off because I actually was hoping, I think um, when I when when I was uh, absent, before I was absent, I wanted to, I felt like we were, we were being negative and I wanted to uh, sprinkle some positivity through the episode. And there were a few things I wrote down which I enjoyed and I'll read those and then it will lead quite nicely to my favourite character and then I'll unveil my least favourite. But um, there are a few little moments few little details which I thought that's nice. I really liked the shorts Carrie wore when she was on the phone late at night to Miranda. They were baggy. They were cut down to the knee. You don't see a lot of shorts like that anymore. Um, I think if I, saw, if I saw her wearing them in the daytime, I'd be slightly taken aback. But uh, in that setting, I thought they looked really comfortable and I wanted a pair. Uh, I also really liked it when they were observing, is her name Natasha, Big's ex-wife who got a million dollars in the will, and uh, Charlotte was trying to be mean about her to bolster Carrie's confidence because she is a sort of, you know, as you say, a, a shrinking violet. And, you know, all she wants to do is help her friends at the cost of putting down a, a stranger. And she said she's wearing flats. And then Randa said, that is the most desperate put down I've ever heard. I like that. I like that dialogue. I like that line. I like that delivery. I loved that moment too. I. Uh, I also enjoyed hearing Hold On by Alabama Shakes, a song that I uh, hadn't heard for a long time. I thought it was a, a, a classy touch. You know, Sex in the Cities and just like that, acknowledging that not everything has to be set in today, 2021. Um, but my favourite moment, and accordingly my favourite character, a real treat for viewers and podcast listeners alike to hear this even happened, was our friend Runkle, a rare glimpse of a shirtless Runkle rolling into the bathroom while Charlotte's on the phone and taking a monster piss. He said he had right of way because it's a bathroom and a bathroom is for the toilet. It's not for phone calls. And um, he's a fun guy to be around. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's a reflection of where I'm at with the series, I think, that I mostly enjoy characters who, um, well, who aren't on screen a lot. But Runkle was my favourite today. And I'd say my least favourite for the first time this season would have to be Carrie Bradshaw for returning to the absolute peak of her powers as an entitled, self-interested and selfish person. Mm. 
I will select um, for my favourite character in this episode, Anthony. I'm not sure what it was about the performance, but he felt like the realist mofo in this joint. Um, there was something about the... the uh, I'm not saying it was correct, his advice that he gave to Charlotte. So Charlotte, it has been brought to her attention by her daughter, Rose, uh, doesn't feel like a girl. So she's sort of struggling with her gender identity and, and bringing that to her mum and wrestling with that, um, which Charlotte is feels very ill-equipped to deal with, so brings that to Anthony. And Anthony's like, it's a fucking kid. You don't have to listen to fucking kids all the time. <laughs> Just ignore it. And it was like... You know, not perfect advice, but it just felt like a real person. And I love that he's got a business called Hot Fellas that's just buff, scantily clad dudes rocking around, giving out sourdough. That's that's just gold. <laughs> I love what he's all about. Um, least favorite character in this episode would be. Do you know what I'm going to say? Brady's partner. Oh. Um, who insults the, I wouldn't say elderly, but, you know, middle-aged Miranda and Steve about their bones haphazardly. Sure, she didn't mean it with venom, but it was still a pretty boneheaded thing to say, and you got to respect the dojo, man. You're in their house constantly having sex with their son, at least try and negotiate a bit of politeness. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective, professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to, so that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during, uh, there was a pandemic, I don't know if you remember, and the benefits were immediate and long-lasting. They help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations. Honestly, it's changed my life for the better. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 
10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. All right, I think I've got mine figured out. For right. favorite, I think it's Charlotte. Mm. Uh, because you know what? She, you see her, she's in her bed reading to her daughter. Now, her daughter looks to be, or child that of indeterminate gender, as as part of this episode we find out. She's reading to the, her child. Now, that child looks to be about 13. Little old to be reading what I believe is spy school to her <laughs> child in bed. Little weird, but okay. It's nice. Child says, I'm not sure what gender I am. She takes that on board and says... Well, you know what? I'm going to accept you and I want to do the right thing by you. That's great. And she notices that her friend has a drinking problem. Mm. She's doing she's she's she is she is ticking the boxes. She yeah. is ticking the boxes. And for worst character, I'm going to go with lawyer that won't get off the fucking phone <laughs> while sitting in front of a widow. He reading a will. That guy could not catch a break because he did the right thing by ignoring the phone call, but he did it in front of like his client and then got a very withering look from Miranda and then all of a sudden he takes the call and he can't handle his business I was like this guy is having a hard day (laughs) I like that guy has come out in this episode of our podcast as a real men's rights Mm. activist it was bound to happen I I will not stare into the treatment of men in this series (laughs) bitches were calling him on his on his iWatch he was able to hold off for a full eight seconds until the call came in through the watch, and then he had to deal with bitches. Yeah. Oh, shit. Have you got any other notes that you wanted to um, delve into as we start to land the plane on this episode, Maureen? I need to know, and I, I, it's because I haven't heard this episode, but I need to know what you think of the wedding. Sorry, sorry the funeral. And I think I keep saying a wedding because it looks like a wedding venue. It's a stark yeah. white room. Um, the, uh, they, um, for some reason, Carrie won't, won't have flowers and she walks into this room and it's stark white. And she says, this is the only chic place to have a funeral in New York. Thank God for those lesbians. Um, I feel like the, those two lesbians may be the MVPs of this whole thing. Cause they just start two women who just walk You're out right. for just, I don't know what, what at, that's apropos of nothing. Thank God for yeah. those two lesbians. That's a pretty bleak moment, that funeral. Right? For, aside from the obvious reasons that it's a funeral? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, my brain is um, pretty excited and ready for the fourth Matrix movie, which is coming mm. out soon. So when they walked into that room, I was like, fucking having a service in the construct where they load like the guns the walls of guns to come at you and you get to select what guns you want that's a bold move i think they got that venue because it was cheap it looks like a it looks like a rehearsal room it's just did they make this during covid like during the like do you think there were some restrictions i think there were filming because i'm just doing the timeline in my head Mm -hmm. it must have been at least like at least sort of nine months ago ish that they would have been shooting this i would have thought they sit in groups in like groups of two in that in that seating area true and they seem to be just in a normal rehearsal room with some blank white chairs in it and i don't know if they could even get flowers because we didn't have dick here so (laughs) cgi exists 
You know, like you don't have to be making a Marvel movie to to employ a little bit of computer generated imagery into whatever we you're making. You can't CGI. You can't CGI assault him. Yeah, we don't we don't <laughs> tune into and just like that for um for this digitized you know horse shit. We tune in for a slice of reality, for a slice of people just like us yeah, dealing true. with everyday problems in an everyday way. What do you make of the funeral guy? Uh Honestly, I was so taken by the character of the secretary that the surrounding detail kind of um, faded into the background. Like I, I, none of the way that Carrie went about organizing that funeral surprised me. Um, you know, a chic funeral often comes at the cost of a, a personal touch, and I, I felt like it was all very abridged. And um, I don't know. I mean. You know, they they managed to stuff that episode, and my excitement was still so high with enough detail that I, I wasn't really observing the the minutia of the actual service itself. But suffice it to say, those those um those tasteful lesbians run a hell of a ship. Uh, fair play to them. Now, how many fucking episodes of this thing do we have left? Does anyone know how long this is? I think it's ten episodes. Yeah, you, oh, you God, have seven more. No, was, you've got seven more, my yeah. friends. Feels like it should have been an eight-episode sort of season. But them's the breaks. Oh, you know what's terrifying as well? Uh, on imdb.com, it lists this as season one of <gasps> <laughs> Just Like That. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I hope is a digital formality and not some sort of signposting for what production has in store. Um, I don't think there's any coming back from this being released. Um, they, you know, look, it's been said a number of different ways, Some, sometimes by us even, sometimes on this very podcast series. You had a culturally relevant, wildly celebrated show that ended in the early 2000s. It did important work. It broke ground. Everyone loved it. You fucking went for the cash grab and you ruined it. And then you've tried to resurrect its body using a combination of black chaos magic and electricity to bring the gals back together without a key ingredient of Samantha Jones. None of it's working. I'm very sad that we've got another it, it seven feels, episodes. It feels like a haircut where they um, didn't quite get it right the first time. And so they're like, I'll just take a little bit more off. And then they, they keep cutting hair. <laughs> and it just it looks worse and worse. And you think, hey, look, at some point we just have to cut our losses and let this thing grow out until we're not thinking about it anymore. But we're still in the barber's chair and they are still trimming and it is terrifying. I'm delighted because I am the listener. I represent the listener here today, the devoted listener, the sycophantic listener, the one who knows everything. And I personally, I'm not watching this shit anymore. I'm tapping out here. I'm done. God bless. But I will be with with you. I will be with you the entire journey. Um, I, re- I refreshed multiple times on my phone here today saying, is it here? Is it here yet? I am, I am one of you. I'm one of your people. I am like the libertarian listener. <laughs> Je suis listener. <laughs> uh, Maureen, it is incredibly flattering to have you on board as our sole libertarian listener. Thank you yes. so much for w- making the whole project worthwhile. And I'll, I'll just take this opportunity to retroactively, because I was contemplating putting a like precursor to this in the first episode, but there'll be a different one there now. Um, 
I, as I explained before, was was coming off the back of my first comedy gig in four months and a few beers. So that first episode is somewhat spicy out the gate and not my most articulate um, podcasting of all time. So apologies for that. But you're getting the unfiltered emotion of Tim Bat reckoning with this property. So um, enjoy it for, for all it's worth. That's what we come for. We, the listeners... We go through your ups, we go through your downs. We're here for when you're on the rise in the first couple of episodes. And we're really here for when you get sort of the middle and the dip, where you guys really start tearing into each other. And that's where, that's where we get dividends. And that's what we stay for. We stay for when you start to fall apart. <laughs> you start to question everything. Your health starts to suffer. Your friendship definitely suffers. And we want to thank you for the gift of destroying yourselves. Time and time again. Well, as long as Mattress Pikelet's making them, we're watching them. Oh, shit. Maureen, it has been an absolute delight. Thank you very much. That's the end of our episode. Guy, well done on combating um, the internet. Maureen, well done on joining us. Apologies for forcing you uh, watching the first three episodes of this. Ecstatic that you're not going to watch anymore. Absolutely not. To everybody else listening, we will see you in the next episode. A good day. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.